1: Hello, and welcome to ADCES's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role and inform your practice. I'm Kirsten Yale, Director for Research and Development at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. During the ADCES 23 annual meeting in August, I was joined on the floor by Dr. Bob Gabay, Chief Scientific and Medical Officer for the American Diabetes Association. As you'll hear, Bob and I jumped right into touching on some timely and challenging topics for diabetes care in the healthcare system. We sparked our conversation talking about the challenges of addressing diabetes in primary care and the value of a diabetes care and education specialist in primary care. Later on, we discussed how more diabetes care and education specialists can start to fill those gaps. Keep in mind, this episode was recorded live at the ADCES booth, so you may hear some background noise throughout. Is the model of care different in primary care, though, than it is in... I I think it
2: is, yeah, uh, because diabetes is only this much of the picture. And they're not going to have an asthma teacher and a heart failure teacher. You know, they're not going to have, like, a staff of... You know, twenty different individual subject people. so You bring up a good point, and there are models where this has worked, right? You know, a while back, a good friend and colleague that I really learned a lot from, uh, Linda Seminario, because I used to be at Penn State, and so we were in Pennsylvania were doing in all Penn this. Okay. Yes,
1: is that where you started?
2: Yeah, 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 and so through watching what she did. I mean, she set up this network, and it was hugely successful. Outcomes were good, you know, improvement, you know, all of the evidence base that you need. So it's not a new idea. That's probably 15, 20 years ago. So like, we don't need to prove that this works. We just need to do it. Two questions,
1: sort of like on the front end and the back end. So one is, could you just pick up diabetes care and education? Or is it a shared service?
2: Yeah, I think the models that work the best, so it depends how big of a practice it is, right? If it's one or two docs, as an example, there's not going to be enough business for one educator to be there, you know, the whole time. If it's a larger practice, yes. Right. Um, so if you say that, you know, panel size of a primary care provider, they might have two to three hundred people with diabetes. Yeah. So you can almost start doing the math from there, like, okay, and how many empty slots would uh DCS have? So you could figure out what the right scale is. So for the smaller ones, it's sort of the traveling person. So this reminds me, I used to be the chief medical officer at Jocelyn Diabetes Center. And so the history, uh, which you know, I'm sure your listeners are, are aware of, is Elliot Jocelyn really started the profession of what was called diabetes educators at the time. And it was actually, they were called wandering nurses. And what they did is they wandered from at the time they went to patients' homes, uh, because you know medicine back in those days was about house calls and you know all that kind of stuff. And so they wandered and they went from place to place. And so maybe we're coming back to that idea where we instead of visiting homes, we're visiting medical homes that are primary care sites. And some will need more time. And some will need less time.
1: I love that. Um, so if the diabetes care and education specialist in the endocrine clinic, yes. right, they embedded, so they get a significant amount of education, especially thinking about diabetes technology. Yeah. How does that work with primary care? Would that shared model be they're sitting in an endocrine clinic and sharing, or do they sit outside? The
2: oh, endocrine? I see.
1: Yeah, the yeah.
2: education piece is what I, I'm I think there about. could be different ones, um, different models. What I've seen is there are examples where the DCES... Mm-hmm is hired, in essence, and part of the endocrinology clinic. But their job is to go out to various sites and, and see patients. I think the advantage of that model is that their learning and connection to what's new in diabetes is always there because they're part of the endocrine practice where everyone is, you know, going to all these meetings and staying on top of everything and all that. But they spend their time in primary care. So,
1: you know, we talk a lot about, especially with this new funding that came through, bridging to these communities, right? Yes. And like, who is the right group to understand those communities, try to make change in those communities? I mean, it's not one group. It's not just oh, the DCES. Oh, making,
2: making a, a change in the community around healthy uh, lifestyle.
1: Exactly. At one visit, are they going to change yeah, it? Yeah. Well, right. it's not, because there's these social structures
2: sure, that sure. are in
1: place, and how...
2: Do we make that happen? I think they're a piece to the puzzle, but that's yeah. a huge problem, right? I think positioning themselves as part of that solution, like the real solutions to social determinants of health are public policy right. things, right? Now, we can help people figure out the resources that are there and make a huge difference right then and there, and that's some of the work that both of our organizations are right. doing through okay. CDC support and elsewhere. There's a huge opportunity there.
1: Okay, when you start thinking about access to medication, homelessness, yes. yeah. even violence, whatever
2: yeah. all, this, yeah, all right. these things that are really public abuse, health, stuff. You know, yeah, exactly. right. all these things, yeah.
1: So when you start thinking about on the other side, we talked about economics, you know, value-based care, quality of life. So that does become... The problem of
2: medicine. It is, right? I mean that's why we got into healthcare. We want to help our patients. Now I yeah. hope to think that I do that. Do. I still see patients and that's what I, you know, yeah. Every patient is, you know, a new set of problems to solve.
1: I mean I think the thing that every and
2: healthcare
1: right, you guide when well, you listen to them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think yeah. that's what every healthcare Absolutely. professional is trained to do.
2: So there are interesting studies, and this is another rabbit hole for yeah. another sort of thing. So I, I did a lot of training and motivational interviewing back in the day and taught yeah. clinicians motivational interviewing, had NIH grants, all this stuff. Anyhow, so there have been studies that look at how long is it from the time a patient walks into the room that the clinician starts to interrupt them. And they even ask clinicians, like, what do you think? Like, do you listen? Do you think you're a listener? And I'm like, yo, yeah, I listen to my patients. You know? All right, tape your visit and check it out. And so patients get interrupted like within 30 seconds or a minute. of them Are you talking. kidding me? Yes, yes, many times. I think the average is maybe like a minute and a half or you know, something like that. And the most instructive thing, if one wants to, like, this is a great tip for people. Because I've done this. If you want to see how patient-centered and shared decision-making you are, humble yourself, ask the patient, of course, for consent, and tape your visit, and then listen to it. You will cringe. Most people will cringe. In the moment, you don't, you know, you, you want to do it, but you've got 16 things you're thinking about, and you've got to ask about and check on and this and that. So you're you're listening, but you're also not listening as much as you might think you are so taping and listening to yourself is a great way to get better and then the other that I would say is forcing yourself to listen like training yourself to be a better listener this idea of reflective listening you give back what you heard so what I'm hearing is that you're struggling with this this and this and you find this to be a problem and you might consider that if I know I have to say that back to the patient, i got to listen to the listen. patient a lot more carefully. And if you, you can do exercises where you put people in these situations where with a mock patient they have to do that, and it's hard, you immediately realize, wow, I really have to pay attention. Because I'm also trying to think of where I want to take the conversation. It's a learned skill. It's not easy. But... Is worthwhile.
1: How do you do that in 10 minutes?
2: You can. What you do is first you give them a little bit of time and when you see that you're going too deep into that you make a summary statement that shifts gears. Yeah. So my daughter she's uh, sounds like you're having a lot of problems with your daughter let's see what we can do about talking about your diabetes. So you, you sort of shift it, you acknowledge, and then you make that shift. The important part of it is that you acknowledge the person, right, like just changing the subject, which if you watch tapes of you know providers, they do a lot. Right. They're not listening and they go, okay, so back to when was your last eye exam? <laughs> Because i got to fill that out. right? And be right. like, well, well, I was just talking, you know, like, right. like I, I can't afford my medicines. I don't, yeah, but when my was mom- your <laughs> last eye exam? <laughs> well, you know, can you take off your socks, shoes? I need to examine your feet. You know? <laughs> and everyone's doing the best they can. I mean, there's no malintent, It's yeah. just the way the system's set up. Which is why thinking about the system and how to change it is so important. Right. Of the different problems we've discussed solving, having more people... C, uh, DCS, is, that seems like a solvable problem. We could do, I do that. I think so. I do think that. this is, this is yes. something we can then make we happen, could, right? We could make that in, happen. there. primary they're, care. They're, right. So yeah. step one is embedding more of them in primary care.
1: So orthopedics, when you have, like, shoulder surgery, yeah. they refer you to physical therapy. Yes. Nobody questions, right, yes. when they yes. go to physical therapy. Yes. They're like, yes. well, of course, yes. I have the surgery. Right. I need to go to the physical right. therapist. Right. I'm not going back to the orthopedist yes. to yes. keep doing isn't the DCES like the physical therapist?
2: should be. So we've spent a lot of time thinking about this, and I've talked to a lot of people here and others. So there are three issues in terms of, like, why does this not happen? Right. So one is friction. It's just not easy to, like, get the person to see the DCES. They might not be in my practice. I don't know where they are. You know, from the patient's side, I have to come back on a different day. You know, like all of this stuff, right? So there are friction reasons, and many of them are solvable. There is perceived value, both from the provider, I don't really know what they do, and then from the patient. They're like, well, I don't want to be educated, right? They are still thinking of it as that. They haven't reframed it as what they do. And interestingly, on the perceived value, when the patient understands the perceived value, no show. so the no-show rate, I think, nationally is about 50% or something it like is, that, right? Yeah. So lots of reasons for that, but here's what's interesting. If you look at the no-show rate for women during pregnancy or when people want to start on a pump, it's a lot less. Yeah. Because the perceived value is clear. I know why I'm going there, and I'm gonna go, Right. okay? So there's the perceived value, uh, there's the friction, I think those are the two big ones. And then the third one is, um, so this is probably true for some, the engagement style. Yeah. This might be a little bit controversial, but there are, maybe we'll call them the old-fashioned DCSs, that tend to be fairly directive. I've got what I'm going to cover, and i got to get through this. I might have a bunch of slides in a classroom, and we're going to go through this curriculum. I'm going to make sure you learn everything you need to learn." And it's a laudable sort of thing, but what we know from adult learning theory is no, No, that doesn't work. Right? I have to teach you what you want to know, and then I'm going to tease you with things that you don't know and go, oh yeah, no, maybe I want to know that too. Right? Right? That works uh, like a hundred times better. And so that's the third piece because, you know, I hear this from my patients, you know, I just went there and I got a lecture and like, let me tell you, I'm done with school. Like, I'm not going to do that anymore. So I think it's those three things. Yeah. And and if we can systematically attack each of those three things, then you can unpack them into lots of other things. I I think that's part of the solution. I could be wrong, but it's resonating with, with a lot of different stakeholders that we've spoken to.
1: Yeah. No, I love that, and maybe it's the friction and perceived value. Those are attainable. I mean,
2: yes. And I think engagement style. It's it. it's you know these people who teach in that way, I get why. I get it's, it too. It's so much easier.
1: Exactly. It's so
2: hard to pivot. You know, like I used to always do my talks with slides. Right. And I've learned, you know, this skill, which has been hard and, you know, today's program with Leslie, uh, we don't really have slides. We're just going to have a conversation. Right. And, you know, years past, I would be petrified to walk in front of a large group of people and really? do that. Well, because it's hard. You, you want to make sure you cover everything. You want to say all the right, you know, and it's sort of like, no, but the engagement is really more important. If people walk out with three new things, that's going to last. Um, whereas if I went through 50 slides and showed you all the evidence for you know ABCD yeah you're not gonna remember that in a week and in a month even less in a year you've not changed your practice at all this is true for all sorts of clinicians you know they, they the evidence of how people learn is pretty clear, and it's it's not the 50-slide, you know, hour-long Well,
1: then I I would go, this is, again, another conversation, yeah. but just like what you just said, it took you time to get there.
2: Yes, it, so I had to learn. I had to, to learn. learn. We, right. So we need we, to help people learn that, right. and I, I, mean, I would love a, to do that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. I, think, I, would I think love think to do, we it. I mean, do it. I, me, yeah. you know,
2: this, this, I mean, it. not it. I, me. Yeah. You know, the American Diabetes Association and ADCS working together, we are the people to do that. To make that
1: happen. Totally.
2: But who better. Who better? And
1: who, I would say that is a, that's and, a skill set. And it'll set make that's, a
2: difference. Yeah, yes. And it's hard.
1: It's hard. It takes a high level professional, honestly, to be able to it do does. that. Okay, well, one last thing. Because really early on, you talked about your work with writing NIH grants and yes. really focusing on these like small variables and how that's unfair yes. single, to like look at right. single, single, single variables.
2: Interventions. Yes. Single interventions. Single interventions.
1: If you could design right now a study that would look at the friction the communication style and the value, the perceived value of the DCES, I mean, would those be the three variables that you would design the stuff
2: around? Right. We would design a program aimed at addressing all three of those things, and we do it across health systems. And, you know, to be honest, like, I'm an old guy, so like, I don't have time to do like a million randomized control trials. I spend a large part of my career. Let's just do it.
1: Let's just do it. Let's just do it. I right? would say we, we can
2: just do a program. I would right? love to. Let's We'd get funding. Yeah, it is a fundable idea because everyone knows that there's a need for this.
1: Absolutely, I am. I 100 on board. Yeah. We made it happen on this podcast, by the there way. You okay. There you go. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs>
2: right. So that this is one step, and you know, getting your listeners to think about this in this way, I think is is a step in that. It's you know what I'm going to try to do, on stage, you know, in a, an hour or two. Uh, yeah, we all need to start this dialogue and think about this and I think it can be done. It's it's yeah. it's definitely doable.
1: I do too. It's collaborative work. It's too big of a problem to not be collaborative. If so.
2: any one organization could have done this, they would they would
1: have. Thank you. And, and, I totally and, agree.
2: And that like five to ten percent of people seeing a DCS, that number's not changed over you know, I exactly. don't know, twenty years. I remember right. quoting that number twenty years ago. Right. So we're not doing it.
1: We're not doing it, but we're going to do it. And we
2: have to do it, yes. We will.
1: Hey, Dr. Bob, thank you for stopping by. I know I dragged you off the floor here, but I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. I
2: enjoyed uh, the conversation immensely.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Huddle. Make sure to download the resources discussed on today's episode. You can find them linked in the show notes at adces.org forward slash perspectives forward slash the dash huddle dash podcast. And remember... Being an ADCES member gets you access to many resources, education, and networking opportunities. Learn about the many benefits of ADCES membership at adces.org forward slash about us forward slash membership. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.